But as we begin this morning, uh, I want you to think about that question. Why do you exist? Why has God put you here? Now, not having an answer to that question creates a lot of confusion, creates a lot of struggle in our lives, and it creates a lot of stress. You know, last week we talked about stress. We actually began a series last week uh, entitled Margin, in which uh, we are looking at different aspects in our lives to build margin. It's a series that we're going to kind of revisit throughout the year, building financial margin, relational margin, time margin, moral margin into our lives. Because we know this, as, as margin, that space between what we have and what we need decreases, stress increases. But even that idea kind of brings to the question, why? Why does it really matter if I have margin in my life? As we talked about last week, why does it matter if I have financial margin in my life? What's really the point of all of this? What does it even matter? That question why shapes everything. That question why shapes how we see the world shapes how we see one another. It shapes how we see ourselves. Why? Why are you here? Why do you exist? As we begin just pondering that question, I want to begin by answering the question with this idea. You were planned and designed by God. There is an answer to the question, why do you exist? There is an answer to the question, why am I here? It isn't random, it isn't an accident. It's not by chance. Because God designed and planned you. Look at Psalm 139 with me. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You were planned and designed by God, woven together on purpose. Every one of your days, before even the first one came to be, were planned and designed. You were planned and designed by God. Here's another way to look at it. This is from Acts chapter 17. This is Paul in the first century actually preaching a sermon in Athens to a group of philosophers. And he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place 
that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he was actually not far from each of us. You were planned and designed by God. There's a lot of things in life that you don't have control over. Including when and where and to whom and how you were born. While you can work really hard at eating healthy and working out and altering a few things about your body, there's a lot of things that you can't control. You don't control whether you're 5'3 or 6'8. You don't control whether you have the ability to sing and, and hear notes or not. There's a lot of things about your life that you can't control. But you were planned and designed by God, even down to the life circumstances and situations in which you were born. That God even planned the boundaries and the allotted times of when you would be here. So if you were designed and planned, why are you here? Why did God plan and design you? I want you to look at this in Isaiah 43. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Notice what God says here. You and I were planned and designed, and ultimately you and I were created to bring God glory. You were designed, you were planned, you were put here, you exist to bring God glory. As a matter of fact, as we search through the scriptures, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the beginning of time until the end of this world, God is at work elevating his name and glory among people throughout all the universe. I want you to look at something with me for just a moment. Some of these will be a little bit hard to read. Just I actually didn't get all of them on the screen that I wanted to get on. But if you're following along with us in the Bible app today, all of these and a few extra are listed. But I want you to just look at this. God created us for his glory, as we just read. God called Israel for his glory. If you remember the Old Testament, the story of Israel, that God said, I'm going to create a people that I can funnel blessings through so that I can bless all the world. And we know that Jesus was the ultimate blessing that he was going to funnel through his people. But God called Israel for his glory. God chose Israel to bring him glory. God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. God spared and restored Israel for the glory of his name. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, despite their disobedience, despite their rebellion, continually for the glory of his name, he spared and restored them. Jesus tells us that in his ministry, he sought the glory of his Father in all that he did. Jesus told us to do good works so that God would get glory. Jesus told us to do good works so God would get glory. Jesus answers prayers so that God will be glorified. Jesus endured his suffering on the cross for the glory of God. 
The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. God the Father and God the Son glorify one another. God instructs us to do everything for His glory. If you're looking at the Bible app, you'll notice even a few other passages. That God's ultimate plan is to fill the earth with the knowledge of His glory. And one day, when God finishes what He started, when this earth passes away and God makes a new heaven and a new earth, God's glory will replace the sun. You and I were created for God's glory. But how do we do that? I mean, it's a nice thought, but how do we do that? How does that work its way out into who I am and why I exist? I mean, if I was created to bring God glory, does that, have, does that mean I've, I've got to be a pastor or a minister or, or a missionary? Let me tell you what the Bible says teaches us but the ways in which God created us and what he wants us to do about it we're going to look at Psalms 37 together trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart commit your way to the Lord trust in him and he will act he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday look what we're called to do here delight yourself in the lord there are a couple famous phrases that christians like to use Um, you know famous christian phrases are always interesting sometimes they're helpful sometimes they're cheesy sometimes they're wrong But there's a couple phrases that I think really illustrate the idea that we're talking about today. One of them comes from something called the Westminster Catechism. And it says this, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. There's a pastor who's now retired, but from Minneapolis, who says it this way, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we talk about bringing God glory, what does not bring God glory is begrudging religious activity. Doing a bunch of things just because you think that's what God wants from you. Right? If you're a parent, you can understand this with your children. Your end goal is not just to get your kids to do the right thing and to do it whining and pouting and with a terrible look on your face, on their face, right? Like if you're a parent, you know like that is frustrating. It's nice that they do the thing they're supposed to do. I mean, that is one of our goals, right? Yes, you have to unload the dishwasher. Yes, you have to put the dirty dishes in the now empty dishwasher. And you're going to do it whether you have a smile on your face or not, right? We get it, parents, right? But that's not our goal, right? Our, our goal is for our kids to understand and to learn that we're trying to help them become productive, well-functioning, mature adults. That we're trying to grow them into something. Yes, we're looking for obedience, but what we want is we want for their heart to follow their actions, 
God is not glorified when we do things just because we think we're supposed to. God is most glorified when we find our delight or our satisfaction in Him. That our ultimate goal is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And then notice what the psalmist also says. Aside from we are to delight ourselves in the Lord, look at this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Find your joy and satisfaction in the Lord, and He will glorify Himself in and through you. Delight yourself. Find your joy and your satisfaction in God. And when you learn to find your joy and your satisfaction in Him, when you learn to delight in Him, God's glory will begin to shine in and through you. But here's the beautiful thing. Because you and I were all planned and designed by God, is the the way in which this is going to happen will be different for every one of us. Some of you love the arts, while other of, of you find art strange and confusing and a waste of time. Some of you love numbers and spreadsheets. Some of you love science and philosophy, while others find those dull and boring, and pointless. You were uniquely planned and designed by God. And those things that make you unique are the ways in which God will shine His glory in and through your life. Because God has uniquely planned and designed us all in different ways, He did it so that in all facets of life, in all industries, in all places where people live and work and play, there would be someone uniquely suited and situated to be that light, to be that beacon of his glory in all facets of life. But God has not just uniquely designed and planned people to accomplish this purpose. He's also uniquely designed and planned churches to do the same. For the next few weeks at Element Church, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the ways in which God has uniquely designed and planned our church to be a part of his mission and purpose in this world. We call this our vision frame. You know, the purpose of a frame is to draw boundaries. It designates the boundaries to turn your focus on what is really important. And at Element Church, we have something called a vision frame that draws the boundaries around how God has uniquely designed and created and planned us as a church to accomplish His purposes in this world. And here at Element Church, our mission is this. We exist... To glorify God through whole lives, 
transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We exist to glorify God through whole lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we talk about our mission statement, we talk about why God has created us and uniquely designed us and planned us. I want to highlight a few pieces of that puzzle, a few pieces of what it is that um, we are designed to do. Beckett, you might check that cord may have just gotten pulled out of the computer. There we go. We talk about bringing God glory. Our ultimate purpose as a church, our ultimate mission is to glorify God. If God has created all of us, if God has uniquely designed and planned every one of us to bring him glory, then we, as a church, as God's people, have ultimately been designed and created and planned to bring God glory. We talk about transformed. At Element Church, we like to say it like this. Change makes something different. Transformation makes something new. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus wants to make us new. Not just different. Not just changed. He wants to make us new. Then we talk about the gospel. While, while change makes something different, transformation makes something new. Listen, we can all recognize that there are a lot of things that can change your life. You or a loved one could receive a phone call from a doctor that can change your life. Winning the lottery or losing your job can change your life. Getting married, getting divorced, becoming a widow will change your life. There are a lot of things, a lot of people, a lot of events that can change your life. But only the gospel of Jesus can make it new. Look at this passage again, and I've added verse 18 this time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are made new in Christ because God, working through Christ, through his life, through his ministry, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, makes us new. And then finally, we look at this piece, whole lives. We exist to glorify God through whole lives. God is not just interested in a few things about you. God is not just interested in looking to change how you spend a few hours of your Sunday morning. God is not just interested in changing some of your favorite vocabulary words to remade pseudo-Christian cuss words 
God is not interested. God is not working towards or moving in and around you just so that you'll do a nice deed every once in a while or throw a few dollars to the church. God is not interested in part of your life. God wants all of your life. All of it. If he's going to make you new, it's got to be all of you. It starts with a new heart. A heart that beats in rhythm with his heart. A heart that starts to change and transform how you see yourself, how you see others, how you see this world. It starts to work itself out in your thoughts, in your feelings, in your actions, in your habits. God does not want some, part, or even most of you. God wants all of you. As we close, I want to return to 2 Corinthians one more time. And I've expanded it a couple more verses. So now we're going to start at verse 16, before we had started at verse 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This idea that the gospel makes us new and changes the way that we see everything. Here the writer, Paul, writing to this church in the first century, is saying, listen, we all used to see and view and have opinions about Jesus, but all that has changed. We see him, we understand him, we know him in a different way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling to the world, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God wants to make new, transform you. Just a few pieces about you. You. Normally at Element Church, we end our services with a time, at least the sermon part, the time of reflection. A time for you to think about what we've talked about and allow God to continue to speak, to encourage, to challenge you. Normally, we don't have explicit, direct ways to respond. You might have been at churches that will say, if, if you want to become a Christian, then raise your hand. Or maybe stand up and walk somewhere to the back of the room, to the front of the room, so you can talk and pray with a leader or a pastor. Or they'll say, if you want to become a Christian or follow Jesus, then bow your heads and close your eyes and pray this prayer after me. Repeat these words after me. Those are all beautiful things to give people an opportunity to respond. But I want to say this. God is not interested in you giving him a moment of your time. He wants all of you. 
However, in light of this passage, what Paul is saying is he reaches out to his audience. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is our plea. This is our imploring to you today. If you have not been reconciled back to God, will you give him your life? Not Sunday morning, not just one moment in time, not just the things that are going wrong in your life that you need him to fix. Will you give him your life? Will you hand it all over to him? Will you trust in him? Will you trust him enough to take your heart and make it new? Will you trust him enough that he designed and planned you? He knows you. He knows what's best for you. And he knows the days that he has planned out and designed for you. And he knows that it is only in him that you will ever find an answer to the question, why do you exist? Why are you here? So before we go any further, in this moment, if you have never given your life to Christ, if you have never given over control, if you have never called out on him to make you new, this is your moment. There is no special words to repeat. There's not a magical phrase you have to say. But in your heart, you cry out to God, I will give you it all. I will find my purpose in you. Please make me new. And if you sit here in, this mor- in here this morning saying, Man, I've done that. I am new. I'm not perfect. This transformation process is not over. I feel like it's barely begun, but I'm in. I've given my life to him. Then our imploring to you this morning is join us in this mission. Join us in glorifying God. By spreading the gospel and seeing lives made new and transformed. In our homes, in our places of work, in our schools, and in our communities. Because this is why God has planned and designed every one of us. And this is why we exist as a church. To partner together, to move forward in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you make us new. Thank you that in you we find our hope and our purpose, our reason for being. Lord, would you speak to us in this moment, in this place? Would you challenge us to rethink how we answer that question, why we exist? Would you challenge and push us towards living in that purpose? I want you to keep your eyes closed. 
as we close our time together this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to who God is, the ways in which he is speaking in your heart right now, in this moment. One of the ways that we're going to respond is in singing. But before we move on, if you feel like God is speaking to your heart right now, he's he's trying to get your attention. And you know what you need to do. This is that free space to open your heart, to give it to him before the rest of all the distractions of life get in the way. Right now, in this moment, give it to him. If you have never trusted Jesus with your life, if you have never recognized that his death and his burial and his resurrection was for you, to make you new, Right now in this moment, before life moves on, will you give him all of your life? Give it over to him. Transformation isn't instantaneous, it's a process. But today he'll begin that process of making you new. And today it will begin by making a new heart inside of you. Would you do it? Would you give it to him? Would you give it to him? Lord Jesus, thank you. Would you be honored by the way in which we respond to who you are and all the ways in which you're speaking to us as we join in on your mission, your purpose in this world to bring you glory with our lives. In all that we say and do and think and pray and sing in this moment, we bring you glory.